Readings this morning in the worthy name of Jesus. You that know me know I tend to get a little emotional. And this morning, my not only my emotions are stirred, are, are stirred, but my faith is inspired this morning. To see these young souls, grandchildren, children and grandchildren, make a commitment like this. And it inspires me to press on for higher ground as an older man, as a grandfather. And I'm sure it does that for other grandfathers here, to fathers and mothers and hopefully other youth <clears throat> and many others, family members. I rejoice, I can say with John, and I believe that all fathers and grandfathers would say that, to see our children walk in truth, and we rejoice to see our grandchildren walk in truth. And we hope if the Lord tarries, even though we may not be here to see it and to witness it, that our great-grandchildren will walk in truth. The purpose of the gospel is to save men's Lives from sin, from ruin, and from eternal uh, destruction. And this morning, that gospel has that power to do that from generation to generation. It has done it for many generations. Many generations. This morning, I'm happy to be a witness to this service. I'd have been happy to sit down here and very content with my wife as grandparents. But I do want to respond and to requirements and requests. So I covered your prayers this morning that I can share what I trust and believe the Lord has laid in my heart for the edification, the instruction of all instruction and direction for my own life, and the edification of those the audience, those that are present and such as might be listening in as well. I just took note. I appreciate the service, the songs that were sung already this morning. I appreciated the reading of the scripture in relation to, in Romans 5, and Romans a good foundation and a basis in relation to the beginning of the Christian life and in relation to water baptism. <clears throat> there are so many thoughts go through my mind this morning that I tend to be a little scatterbrained. I wrote a number of things down. I don't know if I'm going to be able, and I don't necessarily feel that they near all have to be said. So you pray for me this morning, and it's my desire that I can say those things that <clears throat> bring glory to God and that, like I said, edify the body, stir and minister to our hearts to press on in this journey of life. You know, young people, you have started a journey some time ago in a new journey in life. When you committed your lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and it's a journey. We don't know how brief it will be. We don't know how long that journey will last here on this earth. But there is one thing that we know. We know whom we believe and that he is able to keep us from falling to present us faultless those words are almost, what for words do you say when we think of faultless? No human being is faultless. We have faults. We make failures in life. We commit unpremeditated sins at times. And we see it, it's in motivation. It may be in thought life. It may be in impulsive promptings. It may be sometimes in words and things we say and impulsive actions. And later we reckon that that was the flesh, that was carnal, that was me. That was not Christ in me. And so there's an ongoing need of repentance and penitence and repentance. And so this morning, it's a journey of life. While we have the blessing of God and while we have the power of the endowment and the, the Holy Spirit through his indwelling, we're human, we're in a body of clay, we're going to make mistakes and I think one of the things that is important in life is that we learn to accept ourselves. I will never be my son. My son will never be with me. You may see some 
similarities and so forth. And that's true. And I'm just using that as an example. And we'll never be. And God doesn't expect us to be some powerful Elijah or some great. What's the word I want? Um, I can speak like the Apostle Paul spoke. God expects us to be ourselves. And then we can enjoy the blessing of knowing that God is our help. God is our sustainer. And we make mistakes and we're going to make failures. But we're on a journey of life. And it's a new journey. And this morning you have sealed that journey. In a sense you have a seal upon your heart this morning of that journey. The scripture says the Holy Spirit is the seal of our redemption. Of our salvation. He's a signet of the Holy Spirit of our possession. That we are now God's possession and are not our own. We're not our own by virtue of creation. We're not our own by virtue of redemption. And so the Bible says that we need to commit our body to him as a sacrifice and a living sacrifice that he can dwell in and direct us and guide us through life. God, thanks be unto God for the Holy Spirit and for his convicting power and for his comforting power and the consolations he gives us, the encouragement, the strength that he ministers to our hearts. This morning, I believe, with what you're about to do here this morning, the act of obedience that you're here committed to and to demonstrate by water baptism is a seal of your faith. It's a confirmation, a public testimony, that you have a living faith in Jesus Christ. You believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You believe He came for the purpose that the Scripture came and says He came for. And that is not to condemn mankind and the world, but that the world through him might have life and have abundant life. I, I thought I noticed in the applicants when you were down there, and Brother Daniel, your bishop, brother was giving some instructions, some nervousness. Well, this morning, I'm a little nervous too. <clears throat> You're not the only ones that are nervous. <clears throat> I want to get to and be respectful to the title that was given to me. <clears throat> the assignment that was given to me was discipleship. And I don't, I think I'm correct in saying, you brethren correct me, I told the brethren this morning, if I say something that does not correspond with the scripture, I, I want to be corrected. I want Brother Daniel to take the liberty to put it as it belongs in place. But I'm not aware that you find that word discipleship in the scripture. But you find the word disciple. In the scripture I just went over and done a little count. And I think it's like 270 times. Now it's not always referring to disciples of Jesus. But it's referring to the disciple, the disciple of someone. A disciple is a follower. And I don't have it this morning. I could go to numerous scriptures. Jesus when he called his disciples he said follow me. Follow me. The Bible, Jesus time and again said, except ye take up the cross and follow me, ye cannot be my disciple. An absolute statement. You know, that's very challenging. You cannot be. So there's following. We follow. We follow our leader, Jesus Christ. I noticed in that scripture this morning, it kind of stood out to me in Romans 5. And um, if I have it correct now, that the word Jesus Christ is used five times. And the word Christ is used two or three times. The last phrase or the last words of the first verse in Romans 5 is Jesus Christ. The last words of the last verse in Romans 5 is Jesus Christ. The last verse in chapter 6 of Romans is Jesus Christ. This morning a disciple Webster says... Gives a thought, it says, Webster says, a pupil or follower of any teacher or school of religious religion or learning. Then this is what it said, and then I thought about this, I thought, well, a pupil. When we think of a pupil in school, you think of a student. And you think of a teacher, and you think of a classroom. And you have a teacher, and you follow the 
directives and and uh, uh, adjust or uh, build your life around those things that you learn from your teacher. You apply that teaching to your life, and that's basic in development, mental, emotional, and moral development. That's that's very basic. You follow the teacher, the teachings of your parents. It's very basic. You're, so we're a follower. And young people this morning, I just want to say this. You know, I thought as I looked at this message, and I spent hours of time and looked at numerous scriptures, I thought, what can I share with these young people this morning? Foundational things for your life that will help you to find your way through the haze and maze of this new journey that you're traveling. Because we're in a world, we live in a world in the territory of Satan, in a world that is filled with sin. As long as we're in this body of clay, there's going to be temptations and trials. Well, I want to think a little bit as I thought of this, the word pupil, and I thought of a student. And this is what invest in Webster had to say about a student. One who studies or investigates and is enrolled for study. One who studies the manual of his teacher. Jesus Christ is our teacher. Jesus Christ is our perfect example. He never made one mistake. Not one. And we're not called to relate and make denouncements and condemnation upon people like Jesus did, did to those that just constantly resisted him and opposed him. We're not called to do that. Jesus has directions. You know, if I look into the Gospels this morning, and I'm challenged this morning, I'm a faulty human creature, and as I looked at these scriptures again anew this morning, while well, we look at them many times throughout our calling and ministering, and as a disciple of Jesus Christ in studying and reading the scripture, we see monifoli. What's the German word? Misatoda. <clears throat> we see many mistakes. But this morning we have a savior. We have a teacher. We have a master that we're called to follow. And young people, I'd like to just inject a thought here. While I go from one thought to the next here, one of the first things that is important for children in the home to learn, and it's, it's sanctioned by God's program as I understand the scripture, is you learn to follow. Young people, you learn to follow. It's one of the basic foundational truths of God's word and it will help to establish you in the faith and direct you on an upward path. You know, the Christian life is an onward. This voyage of the Christian life is an upward voyage. It's an onward voyage. Upward speaks of progression. Onward gives the thought of moving forward. And finally, successful Christian life is built on forward and upward and a forward Christian life. The Christian call is an upward call. It's a forward call. A forward call. And you know, here I am. Seventy couple years old. And there's other grandfathers here this morning. And I rejoice to see these other grandparents. And some of these grandparents are older than I am. I rejoice to see other grandparents here this morning. Giving support to their children. To their grandchildren. And their families. But here I am. Seventy couple years old. And I'm still learning. And I'm still challenged with that thing of learning to follow. I'm a grandfather. I've been a minister for, well, I'm not going to, that's a, beside the point. How many years? I'm in a church setting. I work with a ministerial team within the church, the local brotherhood. And in a broader sense as well, I'm called to be a follower. God has an established order. For the Christian life. He has an established order. In ministerial function. And I, I'm not going to go into all that. But as Bible readers. We understand that. I'm called to follow. I may not always think. 
like my bishop brother thinks. But I'm called to respect and regard his values. His perspectives. And what he concludes is best for the church. With the help and the consideration of his fellow ministers. And the church brethren. Not just the ministers. But his church brethren. And so I'm called to follow the counsel and advice of the body, the local body of Jesus Christ. Following is so important. Youth, if the Lord tarries, and you develop and you grow to get, and your voyage is an ongoing voyage of life, and you grow older, the day and the time will come that you're called to be up here with Brother Daniel and with Brother Leroy and Brother Keniston. Not Keniston. Kinley, sorry. Couldn't think of it. Pardon me, I'm sorry about that. Sit. You know what makes good leaders? History tells us, whether it's, whether it's in the world, whether it's in the worldly governments, whether it's in the political world, whether it's in the body, in the Church of Christ, or whatever organization it is, Good leaders are the fruit of good followers, successful followers. It's very basic. So I understand that discipleship is derived by, uh, from two words, and that is <clears throat> that is uh, discipline. <clears throat> Get it right here. <clears throat> Disciple, which kind of gives the connotation of discipline. So, excuse me. as long as we're here in this body of clay, there's disciplines that need to be exercised and put in place. Disciplines. You know, we teach our children young the value of discipline. We teach them not to touch that hot stove. And if they decide they're going to test it, they'll, they'll learn and it'll produce a discipline. There's consequences. But, and so, you know, that's how it is in life. We need to learn that life is a disciplined life. I'm still learning. <laughs> and sometimes I need correction. A good follower recognizes as long as he's this mortal body of clay of Jesus Christ, that sometimes he needs to be corrected. Sometimes he may need to be reproved. And he needs ongoing instruction. You know, there was a... There was a, in the Old Testament, and I don't have this in my notes, but in the Old Testament, uh, which of the prophets was it that spoke of the group of people that could not respond to instruction and correction? And when we get to that place in our life because of our calling or so many years being a Christian, or because we have a certain calling or a certain function of life, it's the beginning of ruin. It's going to take us down the road of ruin unless we repent. And we're all subject to that. Every one of us is subject to that. <clears throat> well, I had two verses I was going to use as theme verses. I invite you to turn with me to them. You have your Bibles. The first one is John 8. St. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 31. <clears throat> And Jesus said to those Jews which believed, notice that, to those Jews which believed on him. And I want to make that comment. You know, this day, as much of an act of obedience, it is an seal to your faith. And I think a, play, a, a frame of reference, and I believe it has a limiting, or what's the word I want? Uh, I, I, believe it, I believe it has a, it, it has a, a limiting effect. Of the ability of Satan to make an intrusion into your life. Because it's a very basic act of obedience to the call of the Christian life. And to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ demonstrated it. He illustrated it. He was baptized of John. Why John said, he said, he didn't feel worthy. He said, I'm not even worthy to open his shoes, unlock his shoes. Or untie his shoes, we would say. 
you use different words. But Jesus said, suffer it to be so now. Jesus wanted to exemplify this thing of being a true follower to his heavenly father. And I'm going to get to a couple scriptures here just shortly in relation to that. All right, let's read this scripture here in John 8, verse 31. It says this way. <clears throat> said that to those Jews which believed in him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Then are you my disciples indeed. Well, we could say that word indeed gives the connotation of verily. Or surely then, you are my disciples. If you continue in my word. So this morning, this is the guidebook. I'm not ashamed to lift this book up and to present it here in this audience. Here is the instructions. Here is the guidance and directives for the Christian life. It lies within the volume of this book this morning. This book must be needs become the most prized book. There's many good books of sound instruction and direction and that, in, that use biblical precepts to enlarge on subjects, and, and that's that's come out. That's that's um, complementary to the Christian life. Give us insights and so forth from the principles of truth. But this book must be the prize book. Paul said to the Thessalonians, I think it was, that if I can get these words clear and straight in my mind here now. And the thought is that the reason that people get become deceived is because they love not the truth. That's my thought, but that's a quote. They love not the truth. That's why people get deceived and think they're on the right road and they're not on the right road. That's what deception is. And so this morning we must go by the book. Learn to apply the teachings of Jesus and the scriptures, the principles of the New Testament the precepts of truth in a literal way to your life. Make them practical. That's what the Bible is for. It's not just to be a book that we read and, well, you know, we're a human being, so we really can't obtain those and quite live up to the standard that God is projecting for human life to do. Yes, we can. By the power of God. We say that very humbly. We say that very meekly. We say that with trembling in our hearts. Because we know that we're human beings. And we're subject to failure. We're subject to committing sin. And sometimes we may commit sin. But we don't live in sin. We don't enjoy sin. We abhor it. We're ashamed of it when it happens. We abhor it when it happens. And that's what true repentance is. <clears throat> We abhor it when it happens. And we go to our Heavenly Father and we cry out, Oh Lord, have mercy. It's an ongoing reality in the Christian life. We're still a human being. Someone, and there's some thought afloat and some teaching, or I was thinking about the word sediment, and I guess that's not quite the right word, but concepts afloat today that if I have the spirit of Jesus in my heart, I'm Jesus. That is false. That is never, that is not true. You will, I will, you will never be Jesus. The Bible says you become a son of God, but you do not become the only begotten son of the father. Jesus Christ was the, the only son of God. He was the only Godhead he, he was the only God being that became the Son of Man. And Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. The reincarnation. He was part of the triune God. He is part of the triune God. He was part of the Godhead. We believe he was in creation. Involved in the creation. Well, there's many things that we could say. But beloved, there's some things that are afloat today. And people boldly freely make these statements. You know, when you... When you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you find that abundant life, you become a citizenship of heaven. There is people that say and make this statement. They say, okay, I'm already in heaven. We are not in heaven this morning. We sit in heavenly places. Time and again in this journey of the Christian life. 
We enjoy heavenly places. We enjoy heavenly fellowship. We are not in heaven. This is not the ultimate to the call of God. It's the beginning of a voyage. And this morning, it's my heart. Bear with me for how emphatic I tend to get. And I've often said to the brethren at home, and I've said it when I was out for meetings different times, in ministering the word in a week or in different times, pray for me. Bear with me for my emphaticness. But beloved, I think there's some things that are absolute. We must understand them if we're going to make our journey successful. We must understand it. And some of these other concepts that are declared and spoken, beloved, they're misleading. They give us the idea that we're entitled to things. Maybe it's to... And they give the connotation of a superiority of being. And they seem to give us a license to engage in things that the Bible says we should not engage in. You know, I've said this already and I'm tending to get off the... I tend to get a little off the, the main course at times. I've said this already and... Brother, Daniel, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that I'm called to interpret the word of God. Bible says rightly divide truth. Rightly divide the scripture. Jesus said different times to the Pharisees, Ye know not the scripture, ye do err, because ye know not the scripture. They seemingly did not know how to apply the basic tinsels of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus' plain and clear teaching to life. And he said, you do err not knowing the scripture. In them you have eternal life. Well, there's another thought I want to leave that for later. But we're called to rightly divide the scripture. Beloved, when I interpret the scripture, most times it's, it's to kind of, it, 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 self is kind of central. And it's kind of to make me, you know, to kind of give the consolation. And, but we are called to rightly divide. Now those points that I made this morning, I believe that's the difference between interpreting the scripture and rightly dividing it. The Bible is very clear, we're not in heaven. We're on a journey there. And when we get there, because in heaven there's no pain. Bible's clear, revelation. There's no pain, there's no trial, there's no temptations. The possibility to be deceived is over. And Jesus, how many times did he say, Take heed to his disciples that ye be not deceived. I don't know how many take heeds there is in the scripture of Jesus, but there's numerous ones. And there's plenty in the epistles. And so this morning, by the grace of God, youth, I'd like to say, become a student of the word. I wondered how many of you might have memorized the Sermon on the Mount in your school memorization uh, I'm not going to ask you but I've, I've wondered because I know some of that is done in schools and I, I'm grateful for that blessing that we have in our Christian schools memorization of the scripture but memorization is not necessarily applying it memorization can be a matter of just getting it in here and never being able to make the application practical application to life that's where it takes the spirit of God that's where it takes humility that's where it takes a, spirit, a meek spirit. That's where, we, that's where this thing of following. Why it's so essential. Following. <clears throat> you know, a student of the word. In other words, simply what I'm saying. Learn, endeavor to make the word of God practical. And I'd like to use a little bit the example of Jesus Christ. And I'm quickly going to relate, well, I wanted to read the other, quickly going to relate to some of that. I guess I will at this time. You know, Jesus as our perfect example, as our perfect example, said and done only those things that he was bid of his heavenly father. Jesus said that himself. Just a few verses. 
John 8, verse 28. I guess it's in this chapter. If you have to look at it here. In verse 28, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Notice that. You see that word, do and speak. Jesus, and in John chapter 12, verse 49 and 50, I'm just going to quote these scriptures. I think in verse 29 here of this chapter, yes, it's in verse 29 of chapter 8. He said, I do always those things that please him. Well, that's your goal. That's your endeavor. That's your highest pleasure as a child of God. And interest is to do only that which pleases your heavenly father and glorifies him in your life and not yourself. And, but we're, we're human and so we're going to fail. Don't get discouraged when you have failures. Just follow the Bible. Just follow the Bible formula. When you fail, be humble. Just simply be simple enough to, I've failed. Whether it's to dad or mom, or whether it's in your thoughts, and whether it's to the Lord, directly to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can be happy. That's what brings joy. When we just acknowledge who we are, we're mortal beings. We're going to make mistakes. Don't get discouraged. When you make mistakes and you fail, and you're, there's just something you're struggling with, tell the Lord about it. Go to some brother or sister, your father and mother, first of all, and tell them about it. Say, pray for me. Mom or dad, can you help me with this issue? We're mortal beings. Well, I do that to my co-ministry. Sometimes I do that to my children. We do that to each other as parents. Can you help me? I need a little help here. Am I seeing this thing right? It's human life. But it's the secret to a successful Christian life. Am I too simple this morning, brother? Jesus said in John 12, 49, I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Verse 50, he says, I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. These two words, do and speak. Jesus' teaching was godliness. It was according to his heavenly Father's will. <clears throat> and so this morning, as disciples of Jesus, we truly to be his disciple. We must become, um, we must this morning become a student of his teaching. If you haven't studied and memorized or studied the, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, I really encourage that, do that time and again. There's a lot of principles in the Sermon on the Mount. Moral teaching, moral values, moral system, how to relate to our brethren, how to relate to offenses. And when someone fails me, and when I sin, how to relate to it. And to these things, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the epistles all have some added exhortation, and they agree with. I, I, I would, I, I'm concerned today that, I get concerned today how much interpretation of the scripture there is, rather than just doing what Brother Daniel did this morning. Read the scripture and ask God to open my eyes to be able to apply it and have the, ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit of these scriptures to my heart and life. I think so. I wonder sometimes if things might not be different in church life if we would study the Gospels more and ask God to illuminate them to our understanding. I, I really tend to believe that. That it might make a difference. Well, my other verse that I had, and I was going to say, I think these two verses in a nutshell describe discipleship, so you see how I go, is in 1 Timothy 6. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 6. We're talking about discipleship. You know, in that verse there, in John 8, if you continue in my word. So it speaks of continuity. Faithful, learning the word of God, and then Faithfully following.
the precepts of truth. Faithful. We want to be faithful. It's the faithful that inherit the rewards at the end of life. The faithful. Verse 11 of 1 Timothy 6. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Now notice these words. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed the good profession before many witnesses. I was going to say this morning to you, youth, that the conviction that I believe that has brought you to this place to make this and to demonstrate this act of obedience to the Scripture is evidence that you have begun in the Word. Continue in it and fight that fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. We're not called to go out and fight our fellow man physically. We're called to fight the enemy of our souls. How do we do that? Not with sword and spear. We don't do it with many words. We don't do it with presumptuous speaking and things like that and presumptuous thoughts. We do it by humbly acknowledging who we are and asking God for direction. And applying the principles of the teachings of Jesus to our life. That's how we do it. You know, if you look into the Gospels, Jesus alluded to, not only alluded, but he spoke very plainly in relation to non-resistance. He alluded to non-conformity. In his prayer, he said, in his heavenly prayer to his heavenly Father, he said, these are not of the world. He talked about the two kingdoms. Non-conformity. Nonconformity and non-resistance are sister ordinances and doctrines. As I understand the scripture. That's not a correct statement. Correct it. Well, here we have fight. The good fight of faith. <clears throat> you know, a thought I was going to give this morning is that I'm amazed at Jesus in relation to that following. And I was going to give that account in Luke, the second chapter, where Jesus... Uh, his parents, and as their the normal experience was, they would yearly go to the to the um, to their annual feast. Why can't I say it? Uh, to Jerusalem, and anyhow, they were there. And Jesus was. The Bible says he was twelve years old, and Jesus there he 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 came to the temple, and that was their their practice going to the temple to worship. And so he came to the temple. They were going to the yearly feast. And so anyhow, Jesus there, and just quickly looking at the scripture briefly, um, Jesus there, he got involved with the discussion with, we would say, probably the elite or the Jewish elders, the doctors of the law and so forth. And, uh, and he got in a discussion with them. And so when it was, they returned on their way home, family, family and acquaintances on their way home, all at once his parents noticed that Jesus is not there. And so they went back to Jerusalem. Here they found Jesus in there and asking questions and, and communicating with these doctors of the law. And his mother somewhat reproved him. And he said, Wist ye not that I should be about my father's business? Well, you know what Jesus did? He went home with his parents for another approximately 20 years. And, and worked for his father in the carpenter shop till he was approximately 30 years old. Then he began his ministry. Now, I'm not saying you need to do that to 30 years old. But I'd like to make a point. And the Bible says after that, that Jesus grew in, how does it say in Luke 2? I guess I've got to turn to it. He grew in, in it mentions wisdom. It, it, it says in verse 40, before that account, that he grew in and was strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. But when he followed the this, and I'm using to the thought of following, in, in pleasing his heavenly Father, it says Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. And maybe I'm making that, drawing that point too hard home. But I believe one of the reasons that there's so many disturbances in church life is too many of us including myself 
have not learned how to follow. And we're not applying that scripture like we should. That doesn't mean that we don't follow personal understanding of the scripture. But we need to learn how to appropriate that to life in light of the family of God. The family of God is not only in one location. But to me, I don't know, I don't want to overemphasize something. But I think these things are very important. Well, I got wrote a few things down here that I believe are important in fighting a good fight of faith. And this morning I had a number of other scriptures. But I'm going to just briefly share some of these thoughts and the scripture references. Maybe I'll turn to a few. One of the things that that is essential is singleness of heart. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You devote yourself, become a student of the word, a student of Jesus Christ. Singleness of heart, sincerity of heart. You cannot serve two masters. Right with that is transparency of life. John the third chapter, and there be other scriptures, that says, that speaks about, he that cometh to the light, he's not ashamed of his deeds. His deeds are open and manifest. Transparency is important, and it's important that you learn that young in your voyage, new voyage of life, the Christian life. Transparency. Nothing to hide. You know what transparency does? It produces a good, a free, and a clear conscience. And that's very basic. If you're going to, ha- the, if you're going to experience the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, the illumination of the scriptures in your life. Transparency. You have nothing to hide from your parents. You have nothing to hide from the church. You have nothing to hide from the ministry. You are a free man. And I think that's really what Jesus meant when he said, if the Son will make you free, you're free indeed. I believe it relates to the conscience. A troubled conscience makes a burdensome voyage and a burdensome Christian life. <clears throat> Honesty. Trans goes with transparency. The Apostle Paul made this his goal in relation to a free and a clear conscience. In Acts 24 verse 16 he said, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and man. Toward God and man. Make that a goal. Apostle Paul had a smitten conscience when he made a statement to a Jewish representative, the high priest, and he called him a whited wall, and he was reproved. And the Apostle Paul, it doesn't say that he made a lot of confession and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But he reckoned with the fact that he erred. He said, I wist not, brethren, that he was a high priest. That's an attitude of reckoning with a need, faultiness, and failure in life. Romans 1, he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I'd like to encourage this morning that you endeavor to maintain a clear conscience. Transparency, honesty, openness, is essential in maintaining a clear, a free, and a working conscience. Where you're going to be able to discern scripture. You're going to be able to discern truth from untruth. These things are basic. I know we could say a lot of things this morning. But to me, these things are very, very basic in life. Then I have a few other things that i just like to share. You know, make worship this morning... An essential part of your life. Jesus, he, even after he started his ministry, he went into the synagogues. Read John the 14th, John the 4th chapter in his conversation with the Samaritan woman. He said, God is a spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth, according to truth and in honesty of heart. Jesus said the two greatest commandments is to love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart, mind, and soul, and all thy strength. And thy neighbor, the second one, is like unto thy neighbor as thyself. 
Okay, these, why do I bring those scriptures in now? It gives recognition of who I am and that there's someone that I'm accountable to and I'm going to reckon with as I go through life. And there's someone that I'm going to answer to as I go through life. And finally, at the end of life, I'm going to answer him especially. Jesus went on and attended the formal established places of worship. Read some of these scriptures, Mark 12 and Luke 4 and so on. It says, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. And different scriptures say he went into the temple and he taught and so forth. Hebrews says, 10 says, Let us draw near unto God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And I can't quote it right now, but verse 24 and verse 25. Worship is so essential. If you're going to learn to be able to apply the scripture, worship, personal worship, prayer. You know, Jesus, he done only those things that pleased his heavenly father. How often did he reside to a place of prayer? I believe he did because he was in a human body. He needed to be re-strengthened for the challenges that he faced, the oppositions and so forth, which life is full of. Just a few, couple things, real quickly, that I jotted down here this morning. Attitudes. Attitudes. The Sermon on the Mount gives us some clear direction on how we judge things. Jesus said, judge righteously. Learn to not be quick to judge. Not be quick to judge. Be quick to forgive, but not to judge. You know, that is so essential in the Christian life. If we're going to have an accessible Christian life. Learn to adapt to good pattern thought patterns. Think the best of your neighbor and of your fellow man. Even when he does something that you don't like. Learn to stop and think, well, I wonder what made him do that. Instead of just an impulsive response. I think we need to learn in judgment... That because other people make different application to the practical practical Christian living. We're not called to judge them. Other Christian living. And we have the tendency that we just totally discredit them. Because they have a different practical application. And I say these things this morning, youth. Because I believe they're so essential. To establishing some of these things in a young age. What we establish in our young age, life goes with us. When we have a, when we have a spirit of criticalness and a condemning attitude. And you know, we got a superior attitude about ourselves. It's going to follow us through life. And it's not going to get any better. Unless we stop and get a hold of things. Or we stop and let God get a hold of us. Our heart and our spirit. You know, when those people that in Jesus' day that, that the disciples went to him about, that, that uh, if I can get the scripture clear now in my mind, about uh, others that were not following them, and uh, why can't I get the scripture clear in my mind? Well, I'm not with us. But at one point the disciples said to Jesus, shall we call fire down from heaven? Jesus said, you know not what spirit you are. You don't know what spirit you are. I think these things are basic to learn early in life. And then they will, how should I say, they will, it'll, it'll have an impact on your life on becoming progressive uh, principles of life that you can apply and will bless your life and make your life a blessing. Find your place in the church, the body of Christ. Jesus is coming back for the church. This morning there's so many promises of faithfulness. I'd just like to say this in closing. The Bible says in Hebrews, which chapter is it? That Jesus Christ was faithful in all his house. And then it says Moses likewise was faithful in all his house. Moses made a pretty big blunder, didn't he? He made a pretty big blunder that time when he did a little like the disciples did. 
He was under so much pressure and from the people. And finally he said, ye rebels. And he struck the rock. Three times. Three times. In an injurious, what's the word I want? Transgression to the type of Jesus Christ as the rock who was smitten one time. Well, this morning, there's many more things. And probably, I don't know, I kind of feel like I just wrote over things here this morning. But I'd like to encourage you this morning. If you want the joy of Christ in your life, if you want true joy, learn to make the scriptures practical to your life. John said in in, and I'll use that as a closing scripture. And God intended that the Christian life is a joyful life. It's a joyful life. You know, and there's a crown of life that's awaiting you. There's so many, there's so many promises that I was going to look at here this morning. But in John the 15th chapter, where it speaks of joy, Jesus said this way, If ye keep my commandments, and ye, ab- ye shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love, these things have I spoken unto you, that your joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. A joyful Christian loves his brethren. He loves the church. He loves the, the, the Lord. He loves the word of God. And he loves to be in the company of the redeemed. <clears throat> make your life you know God wants your life to be joyful like I said I was going to look at some promises here this morning so many promises Jesus promised that at the end of the voyage he went to prepare a mansion for us and if we continue faithful in him in John 14 he said you will come where I am he wasn't there yet when he said that but in spirit he was there and he got there after the resurrection <clears throat> May the Lord bless you, youth. Take courage. Find your way day by day. Don't get frust- allow yourself to get frustrated over little things. You're going to. I do. But learn the art of calmly responding and knowing the peace of God which passes all understanding to the issues and situations of life. Shall we pray?